In this episode of Startups the Rest of Us, Rob and I are going to be recapping MicroConf Europe 2018. This is Startups the Rest of Us, episode 416. Welcome to Startups the Rest of Us, the podcast that helps developers, designers, and entrepreneurs be awesome at building, launching, and growing software products. Whether you built your first product or you're just thinking about it, I'm Mike. And I'm Rob. And we're here to share our experiences to help you avoid the same mistakes we've made. What's going on this week, Rob? You know, I'm still in Croatia. Uh, we're taking an extended little vacation after MicroConf Europe ended a couple days ago. Um, and even actually the day this goes live next week, that's the day, I think that's the day before Halloween, we're flying back on Tuesday in order to get the kids back for Halloween. They really didn't want to miss Halloween. So, Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah it was, it's funny. I mean, we've been here for, by that time we'll have been here for over two weeks, I believe. It's maybe 16 days or something. So it's been a really fun time. I, I am pleasantly surprised. I've heard a lot of good things about Croatia. We have traveled a lot, so I tend to have, yeah, I'll say high expectations of places that I go. I want them to be interesting, fun, have history, have have natural beauty, have cities with cool things, you know, just have all the stuff. And Croatia has offered that. I've been really impressed with it. Yeah. I mean, I came back yesterday and I mean, the place was amazing. It was just like, I don't even know how to like, put it into words to be honest like it was just crazy how like awesome the city was and i did a walking tour uh, i went around they had like a game of thrones tour there so i went on that i think xander went on one that was six hours mine was only two but it was still fantastic what i really liked about the tour was it actually went into history of the city itself not it wasn't just game of thrones because they also had a tour of the city walls that you could go on. And I think it was self-guided, but you could walk around the entire city. And of course, because the city was built in, I don't even know what, exactly what year, but I think the walls, they said they think they're, they were built anywhere between 1100 and 1400. And like the city had never been breached by a siege. And they went into a lot of the history of like the Ottoman Empire being nearby and how they were like a conduit back to them from the ocean. And it, it was just fascinating because, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of history buff. Like I enjoy history, but I don't necessarily know a lot about a vast array of history, but I always find it fascinating. Yep. And, you know, it's it, Dubrovnik specifically is where the conference is. And this has, I think, our, been my favorite part of the trip. We were up north. There's an amazing natural park with waterfalls that was great. We went to some islands. Those were fun and sleepy because it's off season now, which has been nice. I mean, the fact it hasn't been crowded, it's still pretty warm, and it's inexpensive to be here right now compared to high season. So Dubrovnik has definitely been our favorite time. I'm a wee bit, we're going to have been here a week by tomorrow and we're going to extend our stay and stay for another two or three days and fly out directly from here just because there's more to do. You know, I went on the same game of Thrones or a a two hour game of Thrones tour as well. And I I had a great time. Just, it was nice to be able to to walk around and see the the scenes, but also get some amazing pictures of, of the city. So I'm impressed. Thumbs up for me. Yep. Cool. How about you? Well, like I said, I just got back, so I've, uh, I'm barreling through my emails, <laughs> and uh, that's the, the funny part because uh, I'm going through and trying to clear up my mailbox, and of course, because it's the middle of the day, I'm still getting them in, so it's kind of like brushing your teeth while eating Oreos, <laughs> but I think I'm down to under 100 or so right now, so it's just a matter of figuring out what to do with a lot of the rest of them and kind of slot them in as to like what to do when. <laughs> yep, yep. It's just getting it all gathering. is like, do I throw this into Trello? Do I boomerang? I mean, I, when I get back, I will boomerang things that I... I don't want to log into Trello. I don't want to put somewhere else, but I know that I need to get to it in a week or so, and I'll just boomerang it because I know that by that time, I will have less in my inbox, and I'm just trying to churn through things. So I've kept up pretty well with email 
fortunately, you know, I got a SIM card when I got here. And so as we were riding on, you know, trains or ferries and, and boats and that kind of stuff, I've been kind of trying to keep up with stuff, but it is always, it's always tough on vacation to want to, to try to balance that, you know? Yep. Cool. So we are talking about MicroConf Europe 2018 today. Yeah. So why don't we go through uh, some of the speakers and kind of talk about the gist of what it is that we're talking about and kind of pull out some takeaways that the audience can use. Sounds great. So the first speaker was Steli Efti, and he talked about what he called the seven deadly startup sales sins. And I don't know if he, you know, kind of arranged or structured the talk exactly like this when he started out, because I know that he's given a very similar talk the, the past couple of weeks at different conferences, but he basically took the the talk itself and shortened it a little bit so he could do a lot more Q&A. And I thought that was, that was a really great way to handle it, especially for the size of the audience this year, because he was able to really dig in and start digging into people's specific problems and, and challenges that they were having about like how do you address certain sales situations or how do you handle certain types of objections that other people would have and how you transition between one part of the sales process and the other. How do you get the sales team and the marketing team and the product team kind of all on the same page? I think that was extremely helpful for the audience. He did a fantastic job. Yeah. And the nice part is having a talk that I I think we had slotted 35 minutes for talks and then you get some Q&A time, 35 to 40 minutes, I think. And he went for 20 or 25 minutes, but it, it, you can pack a lot in that amount of time. We've actually shortened our talk times over the years, right? The fir- very first year, we gave everybody an hour. That's a long time to be up on stage, you know, including Q&A, even including Q&A. It's like a 50-minute talk just starts to feel long. So we started, we shortened to 45, and sometimes we do 35 and 30, and we found, you know, as long as we can fill the days with good content, having more but shorter talks, I think, is something that, that works pretty well. And so Steli knew, you know, he didn't accidentally go short. We've had folks do that, where they get up there, and it's like, boom, 20 minutes, and, and they're done. And it's like, oh, no, what do we do? But it was not like that at all. He got, you know, in his first five minutes, he says, look, I'm going to go short, but we're going to do a lot of Q&A. And there was, there were a ton of questions. And so he totally Totally filled out his time, and I thought it was a well-delivered talk, as you would expect from, from Staley, right? He's, he's a good speaker, good content, those are what he's talking about. So I thought that was well-received. Next, we had Ashley Baxter come in from Scotland, and she talked about her talk title was Idea to Execution and Beyond. And what I found fascinating about her, and you know, one of the reasons I sought her out as a speaker was because she's in software, she's been a software developer, and like she's also in the insurance industry. So it's not an industry where like you would think that you would probably want to go, I think, for the most part. I, I certainly would not want to deal with the insurance industry. But sh- her company is reselling insurance to freelancers. So she talked about how she built the business and how she grew it and what people were really looking for and how to dive into the idea itself and then also expand and really hit on the actual pain points that your customers are having and how to use those in not just your marketing material, but how you talk to them. And and she showed some extremely scrappy ways of how she was gathering information from the audience that she was going after just by using like a simple type form where she's like, oh, people thought this was part of the, the process to get the information and it really wasn't. It was just, I used that because I I didn't have any feedback loop from the insurance company themselves where they were actually filling out the information. So she'd gather their email address up front and then send them over and people just kind of thought that, oh, this is, this is part of that process. And it really, and it wasn't, it was so she could get the information she needed. Yeah. This was the first time I had met Ashley. And when she said she was talking about insurance, I was like, oh no, what have we done? But she's like, no, I'm not, it's kind of a joke. Like I'm not actually talking about the insurance. I'm talking about 
doing the startup and validating it in the steps I took. So I thought her talk turned out really well. I enjoyed it. And I heard, you know, some folks talking in the hallway about how they enjoyed hearing her journey because it's, it's a little bit non-traditional. You know, it's not a SaaS app, but I, we've had really good talks from, from some folks who sell information products, from people who sell physical products. I mean, there are things to be learned and passed along, you know, across these disciplines. Third speaker on the first day was uh, Aleth Gungan, and her talk was the bulletproof path to privacy for your software business. And she does a lot of stuff with GDPR, a lot of consulting with various companies, but she kind of describes herself as a, a privacy advocate. And most of what she talked about was things that like you would think are generally common sense. And in certain cases they are, and obviously like so, certain companies where she has done consulting, they go in a, a different direction or they, they lean too much on the legal team, for example. And she's like, you know, if you're going to be putting together a privacy policy, yes, the legal team should have an input, but like the marketing team should write it because it's really about how you are portraying your company and what you're doing to your customers versus making it overly, uh, I'll say, aimed at like covering your ass in terms of the legalities of it. And yes, you do want to do that. But when you have a lawyer write that stuff, it's very, very different in terms of tone and feel when the users are reading it versus when like the marketing team writes it because like you are presenting your company to the user is like, hey, this is what we do with your data and, and this is why you should trust us. Not to say you shouldn't have the legal team review it afterwards, but it depends on your starting point and it's going to have a very different tone and feel depending on who you have author it. Yeah, this was another one when Alice said she was speaking about GDPR. I was like, oh, this can go one of two ways, right? It can be really boring or it can be super helpful. What I liked about what she said is when GDPR started coming on our radar at Drip, this is shortly before you know I, I moved on from Drip, my product guy, Brendan, yeah, I said, let legal worry about it. And he said, no, if, if they do it, it'll be a mess. Like we as product people know the product and legal will not, they just won't have the experience or the knowledge to be able to do this. So we need to do it first, then they need to kind of make it legal speak. And, and it worked out. And that's what we did. And Brendan read the whole, the whole GDPR documents, 200 and something pages. And it worked out really well. And that's kind of, she wasn't recommending you read the whole thing, but she was saying, you as a product person, you have to own this. And I think that's super important. I think this is similar to like negotiations I've seen. If your company is going to be acquired, you don't want lawyers negotiating before this stuff needs to go to legal, right? It's like there, there's a point where it needs to be in, in a contract before then, keep the lawyers out of it. And I don't have kind of an investment maker or a broker, or, or if you're good at negotiating yourself, you, you handle it. But you, the lawyers in general will make things complicated and they can kill deals just with, with their approach. They're trained to do things a certain way and it's not always the, the right way. So GDPR, it was actually a really good talk and someone uh, said it was the best talk. A couple of people said this, they thought it was the best talk they'd heard on GDPR because it wasn't like walking through legislation. It was saying, here's, here's kind of a minimum viable approach to this. Here's the next level up. Here's some ways to think about it. You know, it was, it was much more from, an, from a more experienced person, not just someone who had kind of read, read a boring document. Yeah, it was definitely positioned as like, this is the common sense way to approach it for companies that don't have unlimited resources to be able to do it. Yeah, that's right. And then we had some attendee talks in the afternoon. Uh, we had four attendee talks this year, and that's where folks submitted topics and they were voted on in advance um, based on the topic and the, and the presenter voted on in advance, you know, who should give the talks. And I, I thought those went well. I mean, they're 12-minute talks. We do four of them in an hour and they tend to move pretty quick. And in general, we tend to have pretty good luck. And I thought that that was the case again this year. 
I would agree with that. I mean, I do want to call out a special thanks to uh, Benedict Dyke for putting together a attendee talk at the last minute because we did have an attendee talk who had been voted on and was going to come and do that. And he ended up having to change his plans and wasn't able to make it to MicroConf Europe. So I contacted Benedict a few days before MicroConf and asked him, I was like, do you think you could put something together, yes or no? And I didn't want to put him on the spot and force him to do it. But if he hadn't been able to, we probably would have been able to get away with it. But at the same time, I wanted to give him the opportunity if he wanted to. And uh, he put together a great talk. I thought it was exceptionally well done for the amount of time that he had. Yep, I agree. Kudos to him for, for stepping up and doing that. And then I wrapped the day up with my talk. I called it, I really messed with the title a lot. And I finally landed on the state of bootstrapping in 2018. And I kind of talked through my journey as a bootstrapper, the phases of like doing years of literally six years of nights and weekends on and off and never making more than $100 a month from, from the stuff I launched. And then there was kind of this three-year period where I kind of stair-stepped up to, to having like house payment type money, like one to 2000 a month. And then over that three years, I got to full-time income. And I went through the phases of what that looked like for me and the funding options I had, like funding being nights and weekends, you know, is often, right? It's like day job or, or you can have savings or whatever. And then I looked at the funding options that we have available today because there are definitely more founder-friendly options. Um, obviously, talked about venture capital, what that looks like. I still don't think it's fit for most, you know, almost everyone in the room talked about fund strapping, which of course I've talked about on, on this podcast before. And I, I mentioned kind of what I, I believe you know, is the next kind of a next wave or next generation of funding for our crowd, basically for, you know, the, the microconf kind of bootstrapper community, which is kind of these, these funds like Indie.BC or accelerators, like I'm launching with tiny seed at tinyseedfund.com, which is like a bootstrapper friendly accelerator. So talked through all that and got a lot of good questions afterwards. A couple people said, I wish you'd spent more time talking about Tiny Seed. And I said, you know, I didn't, the intent was not for it to be an advertisement for what I'm doing, right? It's not, Hey, look at what I'm doing. Because if you don't, you don't care about that, why are you sitting in a talk for, you know, 30, 40 minutes? I really wanted it to be helpful to you, no matter what you do. Like if it convinced you that bootstrapping is still the best way for you, then good. At least, at least I convinced you something. And if I convince you that you should consider, you know, fund strapping or, or an accelerator like Tiny Seed or whatever, then, you know, that the goal was, my goal was accomplished as well. And then we had an evening event out on the terrace right outside where the main hall was, where we had the conference itself. And that was sponsored by FE International. And it was an absolutely gorgeous view from there because you could see not just down to the water, which is like the hotel is literally right on the water. And then they have like an infinity pool there with like a swim up bar and a hot tub over to the side. But I mean, it was just like you could watch the sunset. And there was like, I think the second day I was there, there were probably 15 or 20 people just sitting out there watching the sunset. And there were a few people who took time-lapse videos. And there's a couple of those that got uploaded into the Slack group. And it was just, it was just an amazing view. Yeah, that the hotel was the nicest, the nice, I, I'd say the nicest hotel we've had microcomp Europe at, and by far the best location and the best view. And everyone commented on that. Every room has an ocean view. It's it's really crazy. It's so cool to be able to to do that and to do it off season so it wasn't outrageously expensive. It was 110 euro a night for these rooms that I believe are twice that. I think they're 220 in the in the high season or 240 or something. Um, so it was yeah, it, it, it's nice. 
Yeah, the only I would say the only confusing thing about the hotel is that because like you're basically coming in from the back and it's sort of on a cliff, the lobby is above all the other floors. So like the first floor is actually where you could go down and there's a place to eat and you can walk out into to the pool area. But the lobby is actually, I think they call it the RC level, but it was just like nine or 10 or something like that. Um, so it's at the top of the hotel instead of the bottom. Yeah. So uh, thank you to FE International for sponsoring MicroConf Europe and, you know, sponsoring that, that evening event. And then on day two, we had Adi Pienaar who came in and talked about fundstrapping. And he talked about how he had bootstrapped his company and then he did a seed round and then he almost did a, a series A round and decided that instead of doing that, he just didn't have the the heart to try and convince people that that was like the VCs, that that was the direction that the company really deserved to go in. And instead of trying to spend his effort there, he turned around and said, okay, well, let me just make this company profitable and I can do whatever I want. So they cut expenses and went through a couple of rough decisions, but ultimately has made the company profitable and they've been profitable since the beginning of the year. And it, it was nice to see that path that he took and he could have probably gotten funding if he really wanted to. And he just said, you know what? I don't have to. I'm just going to make this company profitable. And then it gives them options. And I think that it was a nice follow-up to the talk that you had had where it was, you talked about the different funding options and how money makes you make different decisions. And profit, from 80s perspective, also gives you an, an optionality that I think that you don't always have if you take like a giant pile of money and you're trying to build a big business that needs to grow fast because of the investors. Yep. No, that makes a lot of sense. His was one of my favorite talks, I'll be honest, because he was so raw. He was very, just talked about the emotion, the ups and downs, and really kind of told the whole story. I didn't feel like he held anything back. He gave exact numbers. He gave, talked about a, a potential acquisition and talked about, what, I believe said what the price was. Like it was, it was really, it's so cool to hear all the details in a talk like that. So I really appreciated him uh, him coming in with this, with both the topic and the honesty. And next, Dr. Sherry Wallen came and she talked about mainly trying to keep the alignment that you have as a as an entrepreneur, making sure that you are aligned both mentally and, and physically with the, the goals that you have as a human being. And she talked about how entrepreneurs are basically disruptors and there's a sense that you want to do something that makes you belong, but you also want to be successful. And sometimes those things have a little bit of friction between them, but having alignment across that spectrum makes things a lot easier for you. Um, so I missed most of her talk because I was watching the kids. We had three kids here with us and it was the middle of the day. So I had them and then I caught the last 15 minutes of her talk. But when I walked in, it was towards the end and all the eyes were up on her. So I knew that she was capturing the audience. You know, people weren't off on their phone doing Twitter and stuff. So it, it was good. I heard good things about it in the evening events as well. But she really spent a long time trying to figure out exactly what she wanted to speak about this year and felt like she was going out on a limb with it. And I felt like I felt like it really resonated. So the third talk of day two was Simon Payne, who it was the CTO of Lead Pages. Actually, uh, he left Lead Pages I think shortly before you joined, and he's run a couple of different things since he left. He ran Convert Player, and then uh, more recently he's been involved in a company called Events Frame, which helps event organizers sell tickets and has like different pricing structures. And what I found fascinating about that is that one of the things that they did to help get it out there was they did an AppSumo deal, and he talked. Talked a lot about. He's actually done two different 
AppSumo deals. First one was a while back. And then the, this one was with, with events frame. And this one, like he talked about the behind the scenes stuff, how that worked, what the, not the, necessarily the specific numbers of it, but like what he saw in terms of like, oh, this is like, we started out with a hefty amount of traffic here. And then there's follow-up emails. And this is how we dealt with people who were already using the software. And then they saw the AppSumo deal. So there's obviously some, if you do something like that, where you don't necessarily have control over who it goes to or the messaging, you may have to deal with customer support issues of somebody who says, hey, I bought at this price. And now I see this thing over here where you're offering that. And he talked about how they handled that. I thought it was a really interesting way of approaching some of the objections that people may have about that. For sure. And the way I've typically seen it is if you're doing a SaaS app, you fork off a different plan that's just that doesn't match any of the plans on your pricing page. And you either you probably put it in between two of the plans or you, you know, whatever you do, you just you make it different so that it doesn't there is no direct comparison. They had some clever ways of, of working around that as well. Um, overall it sounds like it was pretty successful for them and they're off to, to a good start with events frame. I thought it was I, I like I enjoyed the talk. It was I like stories, you know, and he Talk about the story, and if you're thinking about doing, you know, an AppSumo deal, it was definitely, or even any of the deal a day things, it would apply to any of them. Uh, I felt like there was there was some value there. Next up was Ashley Green, and her, the title of her talk was "Tech Changes People Don't User Research Is Your Secret Growth Weapon," and she is, you know, like a, a user research expert, like that's what she does for a living. She's a consultant, and she talked a lot about you know, segmenting your users and, and surveying them and figuring out which folks use which features and which folks ask for which features. And I caught most of it. I was actually in the middle of, there was this conference stuff coming up. So I, I kept having to get up, but the pieces that I caught, I liked, and I could tell there were, especially there were certain folks in the audience who it really resonated with, you know, with talks like this about user research, some people aren't at the phase where it matters yet or the past the phase where it matters yet, although you're kind of never past that phase. But especially, you know, in the early days of customer development stuff, that's when it's going to, I would say, matter most. And then if, as your product matures, you can still do it, but it's definitely, I would say, not as, uh, in my opinion, not as, as critical and something you should do, be doing every day, much like in the early days. So there were definitely some people really focused in on it, a lot of good questions for her at, at the end of the talk. And then you wrapped up the day in the conference with a talk called, I'm not even supposed to be here. What was that all about? Well, we had a speaker who canceled uh, at the last minute. So I was flying out on Friday and uh, I got an email on Thursday saying, you know, look, there's, there's some stuff going on and I'm not going to, this is me saying this, I'm not going to talk about it on the podcast because it's it's his story. But I, I totally understand why he had to cancel. And, you know, I feel, feel more bad for him that he had to cancel than me for having to fill in. But, you know, just because he didn't, wasn't able to make it like I didn't want to leave the attendees in alert. So I ended up coming up with a talk at the very last minute to basically fill the time. And I don't know. I mean, you can tell me how it went, but I like I completely pulled it out of thin air, to be perfectly honest, on, on extremely short notice. I had to work from notes. And I think I would say that the presentation was probably the worst talk that I've ever given. But like given what the the time frame and the zero practice and everything else, like it probably wasn't terrible. <laughs> that was the thing. Uh, you had no practice. So, and you were literally, you had notes that you were going from. So it was, uh, it was tough. Yeah. I mean, I would agree with you. It wasn't certainly you've, you know, given talks are a lot better than, than it, both low prep. It's, it's hard. The first part, you had a lot of kind of jokes, Morgan Freeman kind of internet meme stuff. 
And I felt like that that's the timing on, on some of them was off. And then the, I think the, by that time people were tired, you know, it was two days into the conference and I, I think it didn't necessarily resonate with everyone, but then you went into like, things go wrong. What do you do when they go wrong? And you started giving examples of all the things that have gone wrong behind the scenes at microconf over the past 16 conferences we run. That part was fun for me, for sure. I, I think people got a kick out of it. And then, and then you went into, you know, stuff that goes, uh, has gone around with you, like health issues and such, and, and kind of wrapped it up with, you know, here's what we do about it. We're entrepreneurs. And, and it was, I, I felt overall, it was a good message. You know, like you said, the delivery, uh, the content was good. The delivery was unpracticed. And so, you know, it was definitely, it is what it is at that point, but decent way to, to wrap up the conf. Mm-hmm. And then after that, we had another evening reception on the uh, the terrace again, and that was sponsored by SureSwift Capital. And again, another big thanks and shout out to SureSwift for stepping up and helping to sponsor and support MicroConf. And they, this is the third time that they've sponsored MicroConf. And uh, honestly, it's great to have sponsors like SureSwift Capital and FE International who really just want to support the community. They want to help people be successful. And they like to interact with the attendees too. It's not like the, I think in general, the sponsors that we have at MicroConf are, are fantastic in their attitudes and their willingness to just come in and help. And they're like, we just want to support this community. And obviously I, I can't say enough good things about both FE International and SureSwift. Yeah, it's not, it's really nice to have, like you said, sponsors that I would do business with or have done business with, you know, because then you know, like you, I can genuinely vouch for them and I don't feel bad about letting them come up and, and talk on stage for two or three minutes or ha- pass out information or introing them to people or whatever. I mean, or just talking them up from stage, like, thanks for, thanks for these guys. Like, they're legit. We like them. It's nice to have that luxury, I think. Yeah, it's nice for everybody, I think. <laughs> everybody involved. So overall, 16th one in the bag. How does it feel? Feels good. I'm hoping that I will get some a good night of sleep tonight. So I, I just got back yesterday, and I think I left at 1 o'clock you know, Croatia time. And I got home, it was 9 p.m. for me. So it was like three o'clock in the morning, something like that. So 13 hours of travel, 14 hours of travel, which I really shouldn't be complaining because I know that there's some people who come to Microconf Vegas and they travel 25 or 30 hours to be there. Totally. Yeah, that's the thing for me too. I mean, I don't know if you can hear my voice, but I have a little bit of a head cold. I'm also super tired. It's Thursday and the conference ended Tuesday night. So you'd expect Wednesday I'd be tired, but then Wednesday night, last night, Sherry and I just went down to the bar to have literally have a drink and have a conversation. Of course, we run into some microconference, so then we stayed out way too late. So I still haven't caught up on sleep, and I'm, I'm trying to make a plan to do that tonight. But uh, it's almost dinner time, and already I'm thinking, you know, it'd be nice to like hit the, hit the bar and just have a little, you know, uh, the, the, watch the sunset right now. So we'll, we'll see where all that leads. Yeah, after the uh, evening reception was over, there were a ton of people that went down to the, the actually I say up to the reception area or the lobby area because they have a bar there and they have a piano and somebody went and got on the piano, like one of the attendees, like he plays piano and he just played for like an hour, hour and a half or something like that. It was, it was, it reminded me a lot of the very first microconf when Marcus got onto the piano up in Andrew Warner's room. And just, you know, we were all, all hanging out there. It reminded me a lot of that. Yeah, that was, it was fun. It was impromptu. And I don't know, I thought it was, I thought it was really neat. It was just kind of showed the community, right? It's like the conference was over, the conference party was over. And yet there people were gathering, hanging out, talking, networking, slash making jokes, slash playing the piano and just having drinks. I thought it was, I thought it was nice. I would totally agree. And I would totally go back. I know. We'll have to see if we can pull it off again next year because Croatia sure is, sure is a nice destination. 
Well, with that said, I think you should take us out. That wraps us up for the day. If you have a question for us, call our voicemail number at 888-801-9690 or email us at questions at startupsfortherestofus.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from We're Out of Control by Moot Used under Creative Commons. Subscribe to us on iTunes by searching for startups and visit startupsfortherestofus.com for a full transcript of each episode. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.